Welcome, everyone, to the Religion Unplugged podcast, your regular plug-in for news as it relates to religion intersection with politics, culture, and life. My name is Joseph Holmes, Joseph as in the Bible and Holmes as in Sherlock. I am culture critic for Religion Unplugged and also podcast host uh, sometimes of this podcast, but then of my own podcast, uh, The Overthinkers. Uh, I'm very excited because today we have with us uh, two, um, two, two kings of the faith-based movie industry. Uh, yes, I just made them really uncomfortable right now. Um, yeah. But don't worry, they 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 deserve that title. Um, that uh, is Carrie Solomon and uh, Chuck Konzelman. I got that right. You did. Fantastic. They are. If you don't know their names, you have definitely heard of their work. They are the uh, filmmaking team behind the God's Not Dead film, the first one. They also behind the uh, faith-based uh, pro-life film Unplanned. And now they're also making news this year for their new horror film, Nefarious, which is also, you know, everybody's writing an article on it. Everybody is just, you know, it is just going nuts over the idea of these faith-based titans uh dipping their toe into a horror genre which we'll get to in a minute but yes first uh gentlemen thank you so much for being here um would you introduce yourselves and uh tell me anything about the, your pedigree that i didn't already uh uh give to the audience i'm chuck chuck's the one with no hair it's easy to keep straight <laughs> i'm the one who's starting to look like chuck's hair as well <laughs> I'm Carrie Solomon with the writer, producer, director. He's, uh, he's Carrie, like Carrie, not Carrie, like Carrie Grant, not Gary. Everybody right. Gary. But uh, with a C, right. And and I think you've covered everything else. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, guys, for uh, coming on. Uh, first, I wanted to get started because, again, like I said, you know, uh, you guys, as you know, as long as there's been a sort of faith-based film industry in this, the past few decades, as we come to know it now with, you know, Hollywood kind of abandoning faith-based audiences for a while, uh, for a few decades, and then, you know, Passion of the Christ showing that there's an audience that really wants to see religious films that are, that um, represent people's faith the way American evangelicals, at least in Catholic audiences and such, uh, respond to it and understand it. Um, the people, first people to take advantage of that were the, uh, you would argue, um, the Kendrick Brothers with uh, movies like Face the Giants and Fireproof. And then after that, you know, came you guys with God's Not Dead, which, you know, made, you know, like uh, over like $64 million of the worldwide box office, which was just insane and caused a lot of people consternation, both for the, um, uh, for how much money it made and also for its content, which we'll get into later. But first, I want to ask you guys, how did you get started in the faith-based film industry and going in that direction? Because that is a career choice. Like, you know, that's, you know, if people, usually people want to go into film and they want to go mainstream or they're really into the Christian, you know, culture and they want to do stuff there, they're not going into film. And so it's a very specific niche, the faith-based film industry. So how did you, did you stumble into that or did you charge headfirst into that? How did that go for both of you? And how did you start working together? Well, we uh, well, first of all, as far as working together, we've known each other our whole life. My mom and dad, unfortunately, divorced when I was a child, mm -hmm. and my mom took me out to Jersey, and he was the kid next door, and he's been following me around. The way I describe our, the length <laughs> of our friendship is that when we first met and started hanging out, my hair was literally so thick that barbers had to thin it before they could cut it. 
That was not last week. That was not last <laughs> week. So we've been in, we've known each other forever. Uh, we decided one day to come out to Hollywood, which was definitely a spirit thing because we had never decided. We never even talked about the movies. We went to the movies. We loved the movies. Sure. But we just, you know, we just presumed that they showed up. And, you know, we didn't put any process in the thought of how but, they were made. But we did it for purely selfish reasons. We, we, we were like, okay, we could make a bunch of money and we could make movies, which would be fun. There'd be a lot of pretty girls around. Just, uh, what, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so what happens is 17, 18 years into the business, you know, we were doing uh, all kinds of things with the studios. Uh, you know, we were working with Bruce Willis and and Stallone. Our and craft level had gotten high enough that we were making a pretty good living writing for the studio. Stan Lee and, you know, all the cut stuff that people are familiar with. But we weren't happy. We, you know, creatively we weren't happy. We weren't happy. Mm. And the, there was just a multitude of things at the business. We also noticed that it was going very, very dark. We had come to faith on our on a personal level, and there was a growing divide between our personal mm. faith lives and our professional work. And it was to the point where it had become very uncomfortable. And so uh, a, a shrink would call it cognitive dissonance. Hmm. Uh, normal people just say you're, you're, you're kind of ganked up and it just doesn't feel yeah. right. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, one day we're teaching a class at a place called Act One. Uh, and, oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, a girl, young lady comes up to us, 21 years old, and says, my mom's got a message from God for you. Hmm. Well, that, was, that was a shocker. Yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Here I thought I was because I was good looking at the time. No, no long, <laughs> but no, that wasn't yeah, you it. That was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so uh, we kind of, you know, I mean, how do you how do you respond to something like that? But we were, you know, she was very nice, and she had some other questions. You know, how do I do this? How well, do I she do had that? kind of an unusual family background. Both of her brothers were priests. Her father was a deacon. The church was open. Her mother was in there, and, and sure. she'd been. She's in the Catholic world, it gets referred to as a locutionist, someone who hears from the Lord routinely. Yeah. And she, um, you know, certain other traditions uh, in the in the non-denominational evangelical world, kind of the prophetic wing, people tend to be very comfortable with that. And a lot of the people that yeah. we've dealt with since then in the business there, but this was kind of new territory for us. So, yeah. you know, we did, we met, we read the messages that were given to us, and we basically... There was an authenticity. We prayed on them. We went through nine days. He asked us to pray for nine days. And basically what the message said was, I want you to come work for me. Uh, mm. I want you to follow me. I want you to pick up your cross and carry it. We're from New uh, York and New Jersey. There was no subtlety involved. Subtlety <laughs> lost on us. And so and we, know, we, had it, we had it confirmed from a couple of outside sources in the same nine-day period of time, people that from thousands of miles away who had no knowledge of what was going mm. on. And we just said this is this is beyond the realm of coincidence. This is this is a move of God, and 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 if and if it's if he is urging us to even if he's not urging us to do this, this is what we should do. But if he mm -hmm. is urging, this is what we have to do. But it coincided with a turn in the movie theaters. You know, they were no longer making movies. Everything was starting to get political. Everything was mm -hmm. kind of dark. You know, the good was bad. The bad was good. You know, and I love the movies. I love. We know, couldn't I, just tell stories. You know, we would tell stories or tell us. Tell, sell a story and then they would want us to infuse it with some dark subplot or something we you know didn't want people seeing and we're like no we can't do that and you know we knew it was time because we we're ready to go back to new jersey uh sure. you know we were spitting up blood that kind of thing and so uh but then so when this happened the lord's timing was 
perfect. And so we decided, okay, we're going to fire our agent, our manager, our lawyer. Uh, it was fairly comedic. We had done, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we, our, our agents had, uh, we were with William Morris at the time before they became William Morris Endeavor. And we mm. let them know we were leaving. They just screwed up a deal royally for us. And so they said, well, okay, uh, they were initially upset, but they're like, okay, where are you going? You know, what agency are you going they to? They think we're jumping to another agency. And right. we said, uh, we're not going to another agency. And they're like, don't do anything foolish. They think we're going to kill <laughs> <them>. <laughs> we'll send someone over, okay? So they, send somebody over. They literally thought we entered into a suicide pact or something. We said, no, no, no. We're going into faith-driven. We're going into worse. We're going to get to faith-based films. Well, they, yes. they didn't want to send anyone over at that point. They just didn't want to talk with us. It was so far. So it's okay if you kill yourself. Suicide was, we'll, suicide. we'll help you. Suicide was a reasonable choice. We're going into Christian film. That's just beyond that, the that was That was just we're out not, of We're not dealing with you. That's just right. crazy. That's just plum crazy. So what happened was uh, we went in and we thought, I can honestly say, I know this is naive, but, well, I believe that Jesus called us into faith-based film. So, of course, he's God. So mm -hmm. it's a Friday. Monday, somebody will come to the door <laughs> with a suitcase of money. I, I really <laughs> believe this. Or the phone would ring and say, meet me here. Or, hey, we want you to do this. And like it didn't happen. Right. And so what happened was obviously we actually went through the desert for several years mm -hmm. and we were saying to the Lord, did we do this right? I mean, uh, I don't understand. And, you know, we're trying to negotiate with God, which never. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I will say one of the most telling, most powerful moments of our existence, we, uh, we had a Jeep with an open top, went up into the Mulholland Hills in LA, uh, and you can oversee the valley and got out of the Jeep and and basically I cursed God. And it was it was one of the worst times of my life. I, I mean, I said things that and I honestly wanted to get hit by lightning. I thought he was gonna drop lightning on me like an old biblical, you know, yeah. God, you know, Zeus, whatever. And um, you know, like you see in the movies. And I felt terrible. I mean, what I said was so beyond the pale, you know, F this and F that. And, you know, why are you doing this to us? And it was just terrible on every level. <laughs> and I fell to my knees and I felt like, you know, Jesus says, I hear this every day, mm. but I still, but I still love you. He knows what we say. And I, I was like, desperate. how could you love me? like that after I just said what I said. And I had had relationships, you know, my mom and dad divorced. I mean, nobody loved me, you know? I mean, yes, my mom and dad loved me, but not like I was feeling at that moment. Mm. Every girl that I had had fooled around on me or, you know, it was always messy. It was always something somebody wanted, right? He didn't want anything from me. Mm. And I just, it was a profound experience. He entered my heart through a broken heart. And I just got up and I was like, I just said to myself, I'm yours. You know, I, I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Three or four days later, you know, he, he started to open doors for us. And hmm. it wasn't because I cursed him or that I was angry. It was that I don't, in a weird way, I don't know if it was I passed some sort of test in a weird way. Hmm. I don't know what it was, but we, he started to bring us forward. And he said, I'm going to do, you're going to do, you're going to work for me. And, uh, you know, God's Not Dead, you were speaking about, and it happened by accident, uh, but we got a phone call from this group of guys, and they said, you know, we want you to do a movie, and we said, okay. They told us, all we have is the title. It's called God's Not Dead. And 
and they were evangelical, but we're Catholic. Well, we we had done a small film for them before, and we had done it at at a rate of one and a half percent of our old industry quote. Mm. So they knew they could get us cheap. So they're like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, they said to us, "Why would you do a movie for five hundred dollars when you used to get paid five hundred thousand dollars?" And I said, "My wife feels the same way." Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and but I said, "We're doing it for Jesus," you know, and and um. So God's not yeah, God's not dead was a complete happy accident i mean it's kind of like that that was a that was a, a no budget film it was made for under a million dollars nine hundred thousand dollars nine hundred thirty thousand dollars after the credit and, and so we did it we knew that it was special it was designed to go straight to home video that was that sure. was the, that was the that was the sales model that was the revenue model and it got tested before some pastors and it just did so well for that particular market and uh, now I see it in every business plan of every Christian film ever, ever done. Absolutely, it, it radically changed. It, rad it radically changed Christian film on a cellular level, and, and you know, we ultimately went on uh, uh, domestic box office for sixty three, and worldwide was over one hundred and fifty million dollars, often nine hundred thousand dollar movie. Yeah, and so. Um, uh, crazy. Now we didn't make that money. We, you know, we we got paid to work. Sure, yeah, yes. but, but those guys did very, very well. But it led us to our journey, which right. was a series of more films. You know, we did God's Not Dead Two and so on. Do you believe? What if? And a couple other things. But the Lord then spoke to us and He said, "Look, I'm going to separate you from them, and I'm mm. going to lift you up. I, I want you to do some things for me." And we were like, okay, Lord, if that's what you want. You know, we were totally in the in the thing. But I had come to, and Chuck had come to, and we were having discussions. You can only make so many movies that are about a pastor or a priest. I sure. said, Lord, I don't see how there's... The A story, the main storyline can, can only be, it shouldn't always be about becoming a Christian, you know? Hmm. Because it's a very limited amount of character arc. It's it just there's not much. There. No, it's it's one story, and the, you know God is exists in all of life, which has many different stories in it. So that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah, so, so you know we so what what happened was uh, we spoke to him, and he said, "When you make a movie like God's Not Dead, I'm very very happy because the choir deserves entertainment. But when you do that, you're fishing in the Sea of Galilee. I want you to fish in the Atlantic Ocean. There are hmm. millions." Billions of people that don't know who I am, they can't spell my name, they don't go to church. So suddenly he gave us the permission to make a Western, to make a war movie, an action movie, a romantic mm. comedy, a horror. But what he said to us is, look, you can make these movies. I don't need to be in the movie waving. You don't need mm. to stop and read the Bible. Make the movies morally, because now everything is immoral. You know, bad guy, good guys are bad, and and all these things that were biblically foretold. We're at a transition point, I think, in in Christian and faith and values film. We're we're moving away from. If we're going to borrow from C.S. Lewis, he said we don't need more Christian books. We need more books written by Christians. And so that's what we're we're we're, we're at the transition point into genre films that are being told with a Judeo-Christian viewpoint. So we okay. look at it as that we're not really making faith-based films. We're faithful men. Mm -hmm. who make movies like unplanned we happened to he told us to make unplanned it was a pro-life movie but we don't mention jesus in the movie we never mm. but it presumes it's pro-life uh, uh pro-christian because that's one of the platforms of christianity is sure. pro -life, theoretically anyway well uh the other thing is and then he had us go and make nefarious which yeah. is 
Excuse me one second. Go ahead, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, so essentially, for those that don't know, it's a psychological thriller. It's, it carries an R rating. So, so it's it's debatable whether that's justified or not, but it carries an R rating. The church, by and large, has been petrified of it up to now. But I, I don't we're blame just, the church. We're because, just see, go ahead. I don't blame the church because when you look at the poster, it looks demonic. It's demonic sure. satanic, right? It's like the typical yeah. horror movie. But we did that on purpose. And what people don't realize is we did that on purpose because we wanted the crowd to come to yeah. see the movie. When you see the movie, it's really C.S. Lewis's Grief Tip Letters versus Meets Silence of the Lambs. It's like Jody yeah. Foster talking to Hannibal Lecter. And it's really two men in a room. We don't drop F-bombs right and left. There are none. We don't have sex on the screen. We don't do anything. The R rating was actually a political slam on us because the MPA and Hollywood knows Christians will not go to an R movie. They're presuming we're making a movie for Christians. We didn't make that movie for Christians. We made it for everyone. Now, yeah. it does have our worldview in it, obviously, but we told the story. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so there's a lot there that's really interesting, and and you actually anticipated some of my my questions sort of uh, uh, later on. Um, but I think, so one of the things, before we get into the horror aspect, one of the things I wanted to ask you, because um, you have a very interesting story, because you, you talked about you are Catholic uh, Christians, but you are, you know, operating in a space that's primarily sort of dominated by sort of evangelical and non-denominational spaces. You're making the, the, uh, faith-based film industry is mostly a lot of the people. And like you said, there's a lot of sort of Pentecostals in there, which is what we sort of way, way we talk about and charismatics where we talk about the people who, cl you know, claim to hear from God a lot more. And so directly, um, so, what was that experience like? Was there a lot of kind of learning a new language, learning a new culture, going to being in, because you were, you know, Catholics who were in the Hollywood space, and then you were Catholics in now the evangelical Christian space. Um, was there a new language, new culture you had to learn for that, or was it um pretty easy transition? We, we were those guys. Early on, it was a little... <laughs> So, you know, everybody knew, okay, that's them, you know, that kind of thing. Early, early on, there was, there was a lot, there was a, there was a, you know, ironically, especially as far as entertainment is concerned, the biggest part of the learning curve is vocabulary. We just mm. have different terms for the same ideas. Right. And so, uh, you know, so there are different, there are different ways of going about it. Let me say this. Look, we, we have, most of our company is evangelical. Uh, we love our evangelical brothers and sisters. I quite honestly don't see the difference between us. I think sure. there are some amazing things on the evangelical side. They do very, very well. Faith in God, you know, the Bible. I mean, they really work it. Fellowship is amazing. Mm -hmm. I think we have things on their side that they would enjoy too. I think what, that, what, what, what are some of the things that you think you bring to the table that evangelicals could learn? We from? have a really good potluck on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Which we don't. <laughs> Which we don't. Uh, I, I think that there are things like uh, reverence of, I think saints are misunderstood, for example. Everyone mm, thinks sure. we pray to the saints. We don't pray to the saints. We ask them to go before the Lord and and intercede for us. You know, the Virgin Mary. I mean, we as Catholics believe that the Virgin Mary is the mother of God. No evangelical denies that. But mm -hmm. we put a status on her of immense uh, of love and caring. If we were to look she's the mother of God, would you not? 
from our point of view, but in the evangelical space, she's not really that important. So mm. we think there's that a, there's such a concern that her importance is overstressed that sometimes she's run away from. Sure. We're more in line with the you know the the Eastern churches refer to the Theotokos, the Mother of God, in that way, and we're more aligned with that. So I think there's strength in some of the sacra sacraments that we that we sure. Yeah. You know, having the Eucharist. You know, we do confession. We do a lot of things. But what I will say there's is that a, look, there's a depth and a poignancy to certain things, which I think is one of our strengths. In the evangelical world, there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in worship. Sure. Quite frankly, when we're there, and there's and there's a and there's an emphasis and a strength to fellowship. Which is not present in the Catholic world, but it's in a different way. In the we're an introverted faith; they're an <laughs> extroverted faith. Sure, okay. I can I can see that. Then there's a lot of uh, you know, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but again, this is sort of my experience too. That the what Catholics do really well is um, tradition and structure, um, and holding on to all of the good ideas that have um, come about throughout history. And right. evangelicals are and Protestants are uh, tend to be really good at you know, doing something new and doing something creative because of sort of partly because of the lack of structure. So is that- It, 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 makes, sense. it makes sense. And on the extreme end of the spectrum, as part of the unplanned tour <clears throat> through Eastern Europe, we went to Mount Athos, which is uh, Greek Orthodox and Russian Orthodox sure, monks. Yes. And they view the Roman Catholic Church as, as the, the the way too modern changes. Yes, yes, yes. And they still use the same liturgy in the same language. The it's Greek, all relative. The same wording as the 300s. Yeah, yes. we're, we're, we're those new kids. We're, we're the, we're the kids on the block. The funny thing was there was when we traveled, we had to get the heathen and heterodox visa to enter. But I will tell you what happened with us was, uh, like I said, we love our evangelical brothers and sisters. I don't see any problems. We've never had problems. Sure. There are certain people we know that are producing partners, evangelical. You know, I mean, there are certain people who basically did just dislike Catholics to dislike sure, them. Sure, yeah. And so, um, you know, look, you know what? I'm not going to fight that. But the bottom line is, I think what the devil did was very successful. He split everyone. And I think, sadly, most Christians spend more time fighting each other than the bad guy. Sure. And, and there's a deterioration on multiple levels. But what we have is that we have a special thing going on. When we shoot a movie on set, we have an evangelical ministry team and we have a priest. So we have for the Catholics and for the evangelicals. And <laughs> okay. it's a line item in the budget. And we pray together. And we go to both services. Okay. And no, but we pray together. And it's amazing what happened. That is really cool. Yeah. And then there's a there's a love thing going on on both sides. Look, we I told Pureflix when we went to work with them because they said, "Why would two Catholics come to work for an evangelical company?" And we said, "Jesus told us to." <laughs> and they he, they couldn't wrap their head around it. <laughs> and 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 I understand. But here's what got them. I think I said, "Look, we will never offend anything you believe, but in turn, don't offend anything we believe." And so we. And there were only little places here and there right. where it talked about really if it's about Jesus, I think people gotta calm down and remember who this is about. This is about Jesus, okay? And so it's not about this or that. You want to discuss that, we can discuss that. So, you know, I think it's been a delight in our life uh because we get to, you know, we've gone to evangelical services, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we've done all we've, kinds we've, of we've had discussions on this, you know, Steve. Dace, who wrote the the uh, nefarious plot, which inspired the film, he's from a very traditional, strong conservative Reformed background. Mm -hmm. that, that's his background. He 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 likes his gospel unvarnished, <laughs> and and you know we're and 
and our producing partner is non-denominational evangelical would be how he would describe, describe mm -hmm. himself. He's out of the Bethel H rock kind of sure. tradition. And then we're pretty traditional Catholics. And it, what was really amazing to me too, on this film in terms of the content, when it was done, I expected we would have had to have hit because we're dealing with the demonic and, sure. and, and a theological response to the demonic. I would have figured that we would have hit some tripwires somewhere. Sure. A disagreement between the denominations, and there's just been nothing today. Yeah. There's been universal acceptance on that, and I'm shocked. And one of the first people who saw it was we did an early screening for uh, the film wasn't even 100% complete. We screened it for Glenn Beck's crew in Dallas, and we had a visitor. We had uh, an Oxford trained theologian who's with uh, Dallas uh, Presbyterian. Uh, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston, he came and he was enthralled with the picture. He gave us an unqualified recommendation. And it, that was sort of one of the first guys that saw it and gave us that. And we've just seen that over and over with this. Somehow picture. it crosses all lines. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, in my case, uh, my mom was Protestant. My dad was Jewish and I was confused. They asked me if I want to go. <laughs> Do I, you want to go to temple? You want to go to church? Or do you want to play with your friends at nine years old? Yeah, what, what are you going to choose? Think? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. My mom has since become a Catholic. Unfortunately, my dad is uh, an atheist mm. uh, and and I'm a Catholic. So, you know, life is unusual, but I think the, the Lord calls us all to work in his fields. And I will say this. I believe there's a dark time we live in. And I believe when they send the buses to gather us up, they're not going to have a bus for the Catholics and a bus for the Protestants. We're all going to be on the same bus. Well, so well said. Um, so now, okay, I want to move on to the the horror side and talking specifically about this film because. So I'm going to say is again, I you know I grew up I'm Christian and I grew up you know um, loving movies and I you know I uh, I did not grow up liking most Christian films. Um, but, and I, I didn't always grow up liking most horror films. I did grow, uh, develop a greater appreciation for horror films as I got older. Um, and one of the things when I watched this film, I was rather shocked by is it reminds me a lot of the horror films, the low budget horror films you would see in the 1970s that would get made that were, again, they were really stripped down. And what they were really trying to do was just disturb you as much as humanly possible they could. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, and that that was their agenda. They weren't didn't have anything super deep going on, except this. This was sort of their their kind of, you know, and this is, you know, The Exorcist is the biggest and most popular example of this. But there's a lot of those from that era. But they're basically saying our modern society is not capable of standing up to actual evil. You know, there's sort of a lot of and, and you know, they but they would basically just have a normal person that would meet something scary. And then that scary thing would be as disturbing as anything you saw in your life as a viewer. And, you know, they would and that was goes back to Dorothy Sayers would do the same thing. She's a Christian author in, in, uh, in, in uh, God did Gothic sort of horror back in the um, in the early, early 20th century. But a lot of those 1970s movies were doing that. And that's when I watched the film, I was like shocked. It's like, because you talked about, you know, the R rating coming from sort of them trying to get, uh, get one at the Christians. Honestly, I think it earned its R rating because, and I don't mean that as an insult or a criticism. I, because I, there are scenes in the movie that you made, which will stick with me for the rest of my life. And I say this as somebody who's watched a lot of just ordinary and disturbing movies. You know, you have, and you know, you, 
you know, the the when you portray this person who's, you know, this serial killer who claims to be possessed by a demon, and that's he's talking to a skeptical psychiatrist, and that's sort of the premise of the of the film. Uh this this, you know, this serial killer, the, the demon, you know, is the things that he does, first of all, just to torture, you know, his subject, which again is like those were moments where it's like, okay, you're not trying to make a theological point except just how evil these entities are. And to make us feel that and not just tell us that, but make us feel that. And of course, the scene where the demon, again, spoilers, this is an interview with people who made a movie, guys. Spoilers for people <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie. But the scene where the demon is celebrating an abortion as it's being done. I will remember that scene for the rest of my life whenever I hear about an abortion being done. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, so this is a deeply disturbing movie. But of course, I understand, again, just like those old movies from the 1970s, what you're trying to show is just what evil looks like and how unprepared we are as a modern society um, to handle that unless we recognize it as evil, which I, I think that that's, I'm, I'm getting that right. That's sort of the the point. So you're kind of trying to make, um, but I guess what I would say is that you talked about your journey of, okay, you decide you were in Hollywood and you're like, okay, you know, we can't make movies sort of based on our values of this environment. So you make, and so God says, okay, make movies for me. And so you make faith-based movies in the faith-based genre, partly because those are the people that are going to hire you who are going to, you know, make movies you're comfortable making. And now God made, says, okay, I want you to make movies for, um, for not just the faithful, but for movies that for everyone you know, right. but they're being made by Christians, just like atheists are making movies there for everyone, but they're made by atheists. You want to make movies there for everyone, but done from Christians. So, right. um, but what made you a decide to do horror, you know, um, because I guess it's because I, um, and why this story in particular, because again, I reviewed your movie positively. I, I did this thing where I said, because again, I thought I, I actually said to a friend afterwards, I say in some ways, again, if you understand the genre, you know, and kind of what it's doing. It's like a low-budget 70s horror movie. I was like, this is an almost perfect movie. I said to my friend who went to, to say this, uh, when we went to see it. It's like, and then of course, I posted that on a Facebook page and this sweet little lady said, you know, horror movies can't be faith-based because they open the door to the demonic, to anybody who watches it. <clears throat> and so, you know, I, I and I kind of had tried to, tried to not be mean, the mean 30-year-old, you know, guy talking to this sweet little lady who's probably more dedicated to, you know, her faith has won more souls for Jesus than I probably ever will. But, you know, let's say, well, maybe not always, you know. Um, and so what is it your mentality saying? Why did you want to make a horror film, you know, transition to that of all places? And why this particular project to do that? Well, we didn't want to make a horror film. Okay. <laughs> we actually tried to make a comedy. Uh, <laughs> it just didn't work out. Uh, no, we didn't want to make the movie. Uh, what happened was Chris Jones, who's our producing partner, uh, came into the office and said, listen to this. And he read a paragraph out of a Steve Dace book. Steve Dace is a talk show host for The Blaze. Uh, mm -hmm. And he had a book called Nefarious Plot. And the paragraph was compelling. I didn't know it was Steve. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's his book. And then what happened was I said, hey, that's great. Get the guy in the line. Let's make a deal. I think sooner or later, one day we'll make a movie, but at least we have it in our in our vault so we can mm. get to it, right? 
So he says, Steve made it. Well, Steve had helped us with Unplanned. We had a real hard time with Unplanned. Mm -hmm. Everybody was banishing us, you know, and trying to put us out and cancel us and the whole mm -hmm. thing. So we felt an obligation to Steve. So we got on the phone with Steve and he said, hey, we want you to make the movie. And we're like, oh, yeah, you know, um, uh, <laughs> eventually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, eventually. And he was like, no, 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 we want you to make the movie. And we're like, we'd be honored if you made the movie. I'm like, thank you. That's so nice. You know, it's so wonderful. But I'm thinking, no, we're not doing it. We're going to do a Western, okay? <laughs> or we're gonna do whatever we want to do. We and want, he's like, we want to make one of our movies about angry men with powerful handguns trying to kill each other. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's our turn. We just got out of, out of unplanned. We're, so the Lord owes us that, right? The, if you had to compare <laughs> people to dogs, Steve is a pit bull. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So he grabs on and he does not let go. He's like, no, no, no. We want you to make our movie, and it's it's important. It's going, you know. And we're like, yeah, okay, you know. Listen, we'll, we'll do it, but we've got some stuff. And he's like, well, let me ask you a question. How much would it cost to do this? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, well, take a number. I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, well, throw something at me. And I'm like, and now, never do this at home, folks, because <laughs> bottom line is you have to actually make yeah, the This move. is the equivalent of when you're watching a car ad, closed course, professional driver, do not attempt. Okay. <laughs> we don't have a script, so I can't budget it out because I don't know what it's going to be. We don't even know what the movie is. And the book... We have no story. And there's no story there's in the book. There's not a story in the book. The book is just a rant. It's kind of a series of sermons of a demon talking to the reader about how he destroyed Western civilization. So Steve, being the pit bull, is like, well, just throw me a number. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. And I go back and forth. And he says, oh, so, you know, you know, between friends, just let, let us know. I said, okay, um, um, two million. And we move on. Until the check appears <laughs> for $2 million. And we look at each other and we're like, oh, crap. And if we go back to comparing human beings to dogs, so like most producers, we spend half of our time searching for funds. So yeah. we found ourselves, we compared ourselves to uh, a couple of golden retrievers who spend their lives chasing fire trucks. Now you've got one, you caught one. You got to do, do with it. So, like, okay, <laughs> yeah. go write a movie that works within so the budget range. Now, all of a sudden, we realize we got to do this movie because we got $2 million sitting in the bank and they're not going to wait three years for this to, to do. Yeah. So, but we fought the whole way. But what made us made the movie. I'm, so, I, I'm not so kidding. We said, well, what could we do? Well, how about if we, if we had one hero set? We, it was really impressive, but there was one hero set. We locked these two guys into the set. We made it an arena environment in screenwriting terms. And to make sure that the demon isn't too powerful, we'll chain them to the table. So we're like, okay, that'll, that'll you know, work. And, and we start. go through our process. <laughs> but the problem is now we know we have to make the movie. We fought it for a year. And we would do three pages and then try and find an excuse to go do something else. And we went back and forth. What made us do it ultimately in the end is that we kept getting guided back to everything. Like we'd say, let's go do this. And then the Lord would say, nice kids and bring us back <laughs> to the line. Okay. You know, and you the know. COVID lockdown really coincided with us starting this project. We mm -hmm. locked down for COVID. We, we spent a month work finishing up a comedy we were working on. And then it was time to do something. We said, it's time for us to go do this. And so we, at the end of the year, we said, okay, you know what? We knew the Lord was constantly guiding us back. It was the Holy Spirit. Everything we did led back to it. So we said, okay, we got to do it. And then we decided to do it. We put the muscle into it. And uh, it took a long time. It was the most brutal thing we'd ever done. It's a very difficult descriptor, right? Because we, we had one caveat 
we cannot be boring. Not for five seconds, because if we were boring for five seconds, we were like an air- we'd lose them we like- and you'd never get them back. I compared the story to an airplane flying five knots above stall speed. As long mm-hmm. as we stayed there, we would be fine. If we slowed down just a little bit, we would drop like a brick. And so mm-hmm. that's what we tried to do. So we kept balancing everything and, you know, it, you, we do what we do. And and the bottom line is that you know praise be to God it worked out and I rotten, believe it's anointed. The Rotten Tomatoes is 97, 98% is where we where we tend to sit with the audience approval, which means the audiences that see it actually like it a lot. And the critics hate it. Oh, <laughs> you know, according to the critics, it's the worst film ever made. <laughs> I uh, believe me, that can't be true because God's Not Dead exists. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the spread wasn't as big. The spread was. The spread wasn't as big. We have the largest, to the, to my knowledge, we have the largest spread between uh, the audience approval and the critics yeah. of any uh, dramatic film ever made. That's that's incredible. That I mean, you guys are just ratcheting up, you know, um, uh, accolades. Everybody and, and loves us. <laughs> oh no, I think this is really this is really interesting. I think you know. So again, you were reluctant to do it. And you say, um, but what I guess so you're making and you're making this movie, you're making this sort like why um why did you what what is to you the justification for making it as just utterly disturbing as as you did? Well, I guess first actually I'm gonna give you a compliment because, because again, I remember again, I've I have not enjoyed the other other movies you've done that much. You know, again, I I found them to be the typical things that people have said, you know, kind of preachy, dry dialogue. On and, the nose, faith-based. On, on those faith-based stuff. and Which is what they're know, engineered to be. Which, exactly, yeah. And and I've, 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 you know, I think, and sometimes I found, you know, like I found with, like, God's Not Dead, you know, I found, I don't know, somewhat, somewhat distorted picture of what actual legal system or academia actually looks like. But now for this, again, the I remember things like the the best example of comparison of dialogue I could find is actually the TV show Loki that Disney Plus uh, put out and Marvel put out because I remember watching that show and saying, um, and saying that you know all of the dialogue in here is really just psychoanalyze characters psychoanalyzing each other, but they're doing it and that could be really boring and really on the nose in a really like pro- you know it's like you can't just be telling people what the characters are like. You know, but they got away with it because they did it in snarky banter back and forth. And I remember like watching your movie and saying, you're getting away with getting to be like, make the points you're and like the philosophical and cultural points you're having because everybody is sneering the dialogue at each other <laughs> instead of saying it. Um, in fact, I'll say the one part of the movie that I didn't like was when it became an interview at the end with Glenn Beck because then it was just preaching you know it, it kind of went back to the just preaching thing but everything else in it was like really great like that but i so but one of the things i do want to ask about is how do you feel in terms of like making a movie that's this disturbing um because it's because like the sweet little old christian lady said you know there is this feeling that if you show this kind of disturbing stuff um, that it can do harm to people. It can, I mean, you bring this up, desensitize people to evil. It can, you know, make the demonic, um, you know, kind of feel powerful and something that 
gets under people's skin. And that's oftentimes the way, you know, Christian films, I've talked about this with film critic Tyler Smith. He talks about the fact that in the Christian world, portraying something is oftentimes the same as glorifying it. So how did you feel doing this? Did you feel like there was any lines that you didn't feel like you could cross? Or how do you justify um, doing something that's not just a horror film in name, but is truly disturbing film? Well, to make a disturbing film was our intention from the beginning. Uh, what what this film does in a very real way is that the Charles Baudelaire, I believe is the original quote, restated by Kaiser Sosa, the character in The Usual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people he didn't exist. He's actually pulled that off on our society. And I we we believe that what whereas we as a society believe that we're engaged in a cultural struggle and we're arguing that back it's actually a spiritual struggle it's a fight between good and evil that's what's actually going on so we rip the mask off and we remind people that there is a devil there is an adversary christians by and large have seemed to have forgotten that okay Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew talks about hell a lot of times, 17 or 18 times. Okay, he mentions hell. So he's pretty he's pretty concerned about the whole concept. We've kind of forgotten about it. And what we said is if we portray, the gift that we got from the book was this character, Lord Nefarious, who's effectively a, a lieutenant of hell. Mm-hmm. He's here in he's here in the story, and it becomes basically interview with a demon. If a demon was going to have an honest discussion with you, and by honest, we mean from their legitimate viewpoint, Mm -hmm. and you were going to talk it out for an hour and they were going to hold nothing back, what would that feel like? What would that sound like? It would hopefully be very unsettling to you as a human being. If it felt comfortable, you should probably be worried. (laughs) So, So... it would feel very uncomfortable. And the great irony of this piece, and maybe at some point we should talk about it for what the storyline is for your audience members that don't aren't familiar with it, but the demon, one of the great ironies is that the demon is completely familiar with Judeo-Christian scripture. Mm-hmm. He knows it cold. As he says at one point, I know more theology than any human being who's ever existed. You know, and he, and he, but he spits it out. He, he knows all of it, but he despises all of it with equal or greater intensity. And that's what makes the whole conversation interesting. Mm-hmm. And the psychiatrist who's examining him by virtue of being an atheist or at least deeply agnostic, he calls himself an atheist. He's at least very deeply agnostic. The demon looks at him like he's some kind of a moron. Mm-hmm. And he just basically says, How, it's basically... The demon's attitude is, how could you be this stupid? I mean, I know we've been working on that, you people, to get this for a while, but we we ourselves find it hard to believe that you actually have embraced it to this level. I think I think addition. I mean, when you say disturbing, I think yeah, I think evil is disturbing. I think when you put truth in a movie that is anointed, I believe the movie's anointed. I believe the Holy Spirit. Again, this is what I believe. I'm not saying anyone else believes this, but I believe that the Holy Spirit used us as a tool and he worked through us and uh yes and we pointed out to people that there is darkness in the world mm-hmm. and i would say to any of the any person who's seeing or listening to this when you walk out your house today 
in the morning or you're on the way to work or you're in your car. Can you honestly say to me that the world is the same as it was 10 years ago or 20 or 30 years ago? There's something wrong. Something is off. There's an evil that's present. The world seems like it's plunging into darkness on a certain level. And so this darkness, we said, look, we believe the Lord had us make this movie because the timing is perfect for this movie because evil has risen. And when evil rises, you need the equivalent in light and good. Good is the only thing that can fight evil. And so what we're saying is, look, we're pulling the devil out of the darkness and into the light. And we're holding him in the air. And we're then saying, take a look at this. Listen to what he's saying. Do you understand that if you believe that this is real, you're in big trouble because a lot of the things you do are leading you into these situations. Reiki, uh, uh, yoga, uh, Tarot cards, Ouija boards. People don't realize Ouija means in French and German, yes, yes. You're submitting to a, a willing demonic possession. Mm -hmm. We're surrounded by horoscopes and rune stones and crystals and all these crazy things. So yes, on the disturbing part, but we wanted to disturb people not with uh, somebody walking across the ceiling or vomiting or saying foul things. We want to disturb them with the truth to show them mm -hmm. The devil is real, and you need to come to understand this and to sober you up. God does not yell. He whispers. I believe the devil is frantic in the world today because his time is short. The Lord has separated the wheat and the chaff, but he's crying out to the chaff still. Listen, pay attention to what I'm saying to you. Pay attention. And, and that's what we tried to do in the movie. We just tried to show the truth. Both the goal and the technique were the reverse of, of normal horror. So... The goal was not to desensitize towards the, hmm. the evil. It was to resensitize towards hmm. the evil. That's and very as, good. And as far as the portrayal, the the best description I've ever heard of what shouldn't shouldn't be shown is from Barbara Nicolosi. She said, founders of Act One. She said, the portrayal of sin should not become an occasion of sin for the audience. Hmm. Hmm. So, like, if we go if we go all the way back to Bram Stoker's Dracula, vampires typically and traditionally in their presentation with maybe the exception of the Bela Lugosi stuff have always been, there's been a deep sexuality and sexual sure. attraction. That's always been part of vampire. Well, it's part of the draw towards, and you know, the teen vampire whole thing, sure. you know, if not sexuality, then romance and, you know, all of that. So that, that's, that becomes part of the glamor of evil that falls into this. In this film, I think it's safe to say there is nothing Mm -hmm. attractive about the evil the evil is presented now occasionally tries to masquerade as being a little bit charming or a little bit humorous mm -hmm. but it is always something which repels the viewer mm -hmm. they are not drawn towards this they're pushed away from it saying i don't want this in my life and i'd like to say something that we're finding people are going to see this movie five and six and seven times never happened with god's not dead Never happened on the planet. There's a fanaticism in the movie. Like these people are being reschooled. They're being resensitized. Well, how about the like priest? The, there's, okay. a, there's a friend of a friend, okay, who reported back to us that the friend of the friend went to Catholic confession. It's technically mm -hmm. called reconciliation, but we use the old term confession, okay? At the end, the, the, the sins, the priest for, absolves the sins, but he also imposes typically a duty. It's prayer, whatever, mm -hmm. called penance, right? Yep. The penance was to go see the movie Nefarious. <laughs> now, now, this took place a thousand How miles cool from here. How cool is that? But it's, 
there's something going on. And and uh, when does this podcast air? Just so that I know. Um, I hope hopefully next week, uh, uh, sometime, maybe a week okay, after. Okay, so I'm safe in saying this then, because I can't I can't preempt the other announcement. But one of the foremost cardinals of the Catholic Church today gave us an absolutely unreserved, glowing recommendation for this film, and a recommendation the equivalent never of an imprimatur for a book. In other words, it literally lets us be printed. He's saying. Go see this movie. Ah, it's really, really cool. Um, then congrats on that. Yes, you also are um, uh, getting talked about on Reddit because people are trying to uh, explain. It's like, hey, horror fans, just to let you know, don't be tricked. This is a Christian movie, um, right. which is a really entertaining. About, hey, we love here, that. We love them too. We're, we're hearing about, of course. <laughs> but but the, but they have a problem too because some some of the horror fans, the legit, like we were. We did an hour plus interview last week with a horror site that really liked us. It's called Without Your Head. And we and and they have views in the real world that differ from ours. We had a great, amazing Absolutely. I mean, we scheduled for an hour and we talked for an hour and a half. No, it's fantastic. I have to say again, like I said, the the movie is is um very much the best of the old school like 1970s horror films and because it is it's trying to disturb you but disturb you with but like you said i think that's really i'm gonna probably steal that the whole thing about resensitizing people um because that is an excellent uh way to put it um i think the best scenes oftentimes the best social commentary that you do again i'm judging this as like again as a just a movie that's like done doing trying to do cultural commentary and social commentary and character study um but some of those scenes where it's like, okay, you're gonna commit three murders, and of course you start saying like the things that like, oh, the ordinary things that I do are the path to hell, you know, and and resensitizing it to the things we do. That's a and that's a great old school Hollywood thing, not just a faith based thing. So you're doing a really good job of those things. Actually, I'll say this. the other thing I would have loved to see more of is sort of um, in Mike Flanagan esque fashion, a little bit more character development about the psychiatrist and his growing up how through his whole life he's sort of been doing this you know and so move make it more of a character study aspect i'd love to see you do more of that in your future as well just because again i think you're doing you're actually on the path to making some really great films um now i want to talk because you brought this up and I'm like let's go deeper into some philosophical uh worldview stuff because you do that in here i mean you brought it up um is uh is You'd have this conversation about, you know, the psychiatrist saying, hey, the world's actually getting a lot better. So you guys are losing. And the demon responds saying, like, you're deluded. You know, we're winning. Um, and what's funny about this, and I got a big kick out of this. And my friend who was there with me, you know, nudged me. It was like, this is really entertaining. Because I just, I published an article this year that actually was arguing about the fact that, you know, one of the weird things that Hollywood is doing right now is acting like we live in a dystopian world when we don't, because most of the data says that the world is getting better. And I think it's really fascinating. And so I was really entertained to see somebody publish a counter argument to me um, in this, this case. But I was, I was, I want to kind of unpack that a little bit and sort of, you know, give pushback to what you talked about the film so you can kind of push back on that. Because, you know, the psychiatrist says, look, you know, Poverty is going down. Freedom is going up. Literacy is going up. He brings up kind of those data points, and the you know demon responds that you know I mean well, racism was going down is another thing the psychiatrist said. And then 
near the end, um, you know, of course, and he talks about people can love who they want, etc. And a demon says, you know, well, people are not reading, you know, only a sixth grade reading level, and you know, uh, and people are, you know, and 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 talks about all of the, you know, the slavery. There's more slavery today than there used to be, and I, I find that argument to be kind of weak, honestly, because yes. Keeps there are people in the West, maybe people who are reading at a sixth grade reading level. But, you know, that's something that as a free society, we can actually have the means to change if we want to. Um, whereas in previous eras, people couldn't, didn't have freedom about their literacy. And it seems to be offset by the fact that all around the world, literacy is, is increasing to the places that we want it to be. We do have, you know, child mortality is going down, you know, which so you can't, you know, undo the facts like oh and that's because of global capitalism and things that christians support you know all those things are are increasing yes there's more slavery now than there used to be but that's because there's more people than there used to be you know it's it's not you know and even if it's true you know we do have a moral you know uh the fact that it's outlawed in most places is a moral development you can't undercut the fact that you know racism is going down everywhere oppression of women is going down everywhere you know, is it even you talk about people's, you know, you talk about, oh, things are, you know, more demonic than they were, you know, 20 years ago. One of the things everybody who's in the West hears when he says that is like, yeah, but in those previous decades, you know, black people couldn't, you know, do the same drinking fountains. Are you saying that today is worse than back then when there was so much more violence, so much more racism, so much more of those things, political freedom around the world. It just seems that, you know, on an objective level, all of these things of violence and racism and political were much worse before and were beating those things as a, a Western societies, as global societies, we're beating a lot of things. Now, of course, we have problems. We have like, you know, abortion, you can say is a problem, but abortion has always existed. The pro-life movement hasn't always existed. And so that's even an improvement. Of where we're going, you can talk about gender ideology, but even that's getting pushed back now. I I just don't see a scenario which you can argue that evil is winning in the world or is more demonic than it used to be. And I do think that it is kind of harmful to perpetuate the idea that it is for a couple of reasons. One is that it makes people say, well, I mean, basically the thing is if things are so bad, it means that the world we've built is not working and we should tear it down. We should tear down liberal democracy, capitalism, you know, American freedom. That's what the sort of the secular world does. Okay, you know, our world is a dystopia. It's because of capitalism and 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 the, you know, and democracy and freedom and and Christianity and stuff like that. So we got to tear that down, cause riots and 2020s. On the Christian side, it's like, yeah, we got to replace it with Christian nationalism. We got to riot in the capital. We got to do things like that because like because our world is a dystopia. So we need to treat it like it's dystopia. And it also depresses people to think we're not actually winning this fight against evil as Christians. So, uh, and that's sort of been the problem with a lot of the, you know, uh, among smart Christians, the sort of the God's not dead kind of movies is that they've portrayed a world that is more, where Christian persecution is more active than it actually is. You know, there there isn't a professor who acts exactly like that without getting censured in academia um in in their movies and you know and it does create an environment where people do hate each other uh in political polarization more that so i guess that's when when 
I look at that, I see this is not a correct way of looking at the world, and it does do actual harm to people to believe that, um, rather than saying, oh, there's actually even the world that still needs to be fought, and we can fight it, and we're winning. It's everything's getting getting worse, and therefore we have to do something radical that we're not already doing that's actually going to do more harm than good. What would be your pushback to somebody like me who thinks that, and a lot of our listeners and viewers might think that as well? Sure. Well, I would start with, it depends on the definitions of what you're doing. So let's say, if you were to embrace, let's say, for an opposing viewpoint for yes. the next 60 seconds, and you were to say, well, let's say, uh, uh, understand that right now in the United States, we've just kind of crossed the line. There are more children aborted than there are born mm -hmm. alive. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about the statement of more infant mortality decreasing, it really depends on how you define infant mortality. Mm -hmm. I, I would define infant mortality to include those who are, who are electively terminated, those who are aborted, which means that mm -hmm. we're at the highest infant mortality rates in all of recorded history. Uh, and and if there is a creator God who believes that that is a killing, that that is a murder, mm -hmm. we've got a pretty objectively a pretty heavy weight of sin. And if that was the case, that that is regarded as evil by the Lord God, then the, the demons would rejoice in it. So that's mm -hmm. kind of the way the movie operates. I believe the one place where you can absolutely argue that the traditional world had failings was in racism and racism and bigotry absolutely inexcusable in the West, the way certain classes of people were treated, owned, sold as property, and the rest of it. And overcoming that to the greatest extent possible is the one great advance I, I, that I see. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's impossible to argue that life hasn't become more comfortable. Okay, mm -hmm. we're about to move to Texas. Moving to Texas in an era before air conditioning to me would be unthinkable. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just as a relevant, and in the long history of humanity, mm -hmm. Air conditioning is a pretty recent development, but as sort of the part of the theme of this podcast, you know, faith, when you're talking about faith unplugged, um, the decline in faith and the decline in the degree or intensity with which faith is practiced, uh, where we would hold that that is a strong negative. We believe mm -hmm. that post-Christian Europe, which is truly post-Christian now, is in a worse shape than it was. And the statistics as far as the mental health and sense of well-being mm -hmm. would tend to bear that up. And if we're not very careful, we're going to follow in that as a culture. And if we're not very careful, we're going to make the same mistake regarding self-extermination that Northern and Western Europe are doing mm -hmm. now. You know, um, so uh, Eastern Europe is already lost. Mm -hmm. It is done... <clears throat> The demographic time bomb has actually already exploded, not because the wave of people is dying, but because they've aged out of the mm. reproductive years. Mm. So now it's just a question of how long it takes for the tree to fall. So these are all, <clears throat> and if there was a malicious evil mm. looking to destroy a society, we believe that a number of these moves would be moves that that malicious mm. entity would look to undertake. So that's our, that's kind of our worldview. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's the way we operate. Now, can there be discussion? Yes. But part of the problem has been, by the way, we don't have a framework for legitimate discussion anymore. Mm -hmm. Unplanned is an example. 
which was strongly pro-life, admittedly, but was a real-life story of a mm -hmm. Planned Parenthood clinic director who became a pro-life advocate. We were so abused in the marketplace, we actually were called on to testify before Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on suppression of conservative thought. We could not buy advertising on any cable TV other than a Christian channel and Fox. We Twitter shut us down on the night of our release. When they reinstalled us, we had a better than 1,000 to 1 reduction. We went from 225,000 to 2,100. Abby Johnson could not follow her own movie. And it was only kind of an outcry by conservative journalists that even got us reinstalled at that 1,000 to 1 uh, reduction. So I, you know, we get we get with our product unplanned. Did over twenty million dollars at the box. You'll never see it on Netflix, not because we don't want it to go there, but because they wouldn't give us an offer. We couldn't use international distribution through a studio or otherwise. So you know, at a certain point, you know, we are on the other side of the discussion and. I, I think at a certain level, it's you're not intentionally so, but it's a little bit hypocritical to say, well, we should go have a fair discussion. Well, when we try to have a discussion, we are suppressed. We're 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 demonstrably suppressed to the greatest extent that these broadcasters, the studios, these organizations can do so. So we're not necessarily the most receptive to, you know, I think it's really time for you to gentle up. And does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Sure. No, it does. Um, I think that that's very fair. I think that um, I think what you say is very interesting. Uh, people see things these differently is because a lot of the things that are getting better are things that most people agree are good things. Like, you know, we agree that it's good that, you know, fewer children are dying in starvation throughout the world now than there used to be. And that's exponentially increasing year by year. Everybody agrees that's a good thing. But only half of people, you know, uh, agree that um, it's a bad thing for baby, you know, for for abortion is a bad thing, you know. And so, for in my point of view, again, you know, and this is sort of where I come come down. I think you're absolutely right. The whole, um, uh, the biggest negative that you can, uh, that everybody has to agree exists, and this is people are not don't take this seriously enough because of how long and consistent it's been, is the mental health crisis. Because most people talk about this as starting, you know, with the, with the, um, uh, with the with the the cell phones and the things. Like, but it's actually been going down precipitously since the 1950s, at least. You know, so you know, um, and and so people don't take that seriously as the demographic problem is. And you're right, the fact that people are are essentially, you know, self-suiciding as a as a human race in terms of the fact that you know we're not having children. Is a is a big problem in terms of whether or not we want to continue existing, or if the people who are old want to take care of themselves. I do think that the thing is, I think that there are enough bad things you can talk about that um, that uh, you don't have to talk about things that are not happening or minimize the good things that are happening. Um, I think that you know, again, if for example, you know, I, I I've had discussions with the people who. Um, some, some, not all, but some people who are doing the continued work of God's Not Dead movies. Um, and, you know, it's like, you know, you could, I was like, I, I was telling them, you can do a movie about, you know, if you, you know, again, from a conservative viewpoint, if you're talking about bad things happening, you can do a movie about the, you know, um, uh, transgender laws and things like that. It's like, no, we want to do a movie about how 
a fictional priest, uh, and a fictional politician is wanting to ban the word God from, you know, from politics. It's like, okay, well, that's not a thing that's actually happening and nobody is proposing. Um, so why are you making things up when there's an actual thing that you could talk about as a bad thing? Um, and, uh, the, the other thing is, you know, uh, you, you don't need to minimize the actual good that is actually happening because again, what happens is then people say, well, let's get rid of the free market system. Let's get rid of a liberal democracy and instead and, and install theocracy. Um, it, when you do that, do you think there's validity in that kind of, um, uh, desire for, um, maybe, you know, a more nuanced look at the way things are getting better or worse? Well, I'll I'll use the storyteller's cheat. If the demo, if the devil is arguing with you, there's no reason he's going to fight fair. <laughs> so he's looking. I mean, <laughs> he's if he's having the discussion with you, there's no. He's going to make you as uncomfortable as possible. And and ironically, the way it takes place in the film mirrors uh, the way in actual exorcism it's, it takes place, mm -hmm. which is that the demon's goal or objective is to engage. Uh, the exorcist in mm -hmm. intellectual conversation, which does not bear directly upon the exorcist. The, the yeah, I will say and, this. I, I'm going to say this. One of my favorite parts was the the um, the, the 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 priest that doesn't believe coming in, <laughs> because and I I audibly laughed when I saw his you know his his garment. When his my friend, soul, yeah. And my my, yeah. my 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 friend who is less familiar with with uh mainline denominations <laughs> as I am. I was like, I know where this is going. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's that kind of like satire that I kind of miss from Christian films. That kind yeah. of just, just like that that I like seeing you do. Okay, so before we before we um before we end our, our discussion, because I, I want to respect your time and this has been really fun. I would say is because you've always talked about, you know, usually my ending question is kind of what you want people to walk away from, but you're so good at these interviews. You must've done them a lot. You were already anticipating my questions. Um, but I say, what is, again, you, you have are a unique, you're unique individuals, I would say in the Christian film world. And the nice reason, and no, no, no. I, I mean that as a completely neutral, uh, valuely neutral statement, yeah. uh, because you were there at the beginning, but you're also at a point where you're innovating with it right now. And so using your you were you basically created like one of the three pillars of the origin of the the you know early 2000s faith-based film industry. You know, it's like facing the giants, uh, you know, um passion of Christ and and God's not dead. It's like, but now you're also innovating it by saying, hey, we're doing taking taking faith base into horror films and taking it into genre filmmaking, as you say, taking it into genre filmmaking. And so I guess um what would you say? And it's, I think it's very interesting. You talked to the fact that, um, you know, you kind of were making faith-based films that were kind of like everything people said you didn't like about them because that's what they were supposed to be, which is what I've I've heard people, uh, other people in the industry talk about. But I want to say is, you know, ask, what would you say is where you think um, is fair criticisms of sort of where the faith-based genre has been um, and where you would like to see it grow and improve going forward, whether that's mirroring your kind of path, saying, hey, I want to do more genre filmmaking, um, or what you would like to see from faith-based filmmaking going forward to grow as it grows into, you know, as it continues to evolve. 
Well, I, I think that I, I'm not sure that that can happen as easily as people would indicate, because the problem is we have the whole system designed against us. I mean, the media mm. is controlled by one political party. Uh, there's no way that. So, for example, when somebody says it's a Christian film, that moniker basically is it's a pejorative term. It, it, mm. It's designed to basically say, don't go see this movie. This is crazy people who are do garbage mm. movies. And the bottom line is that, you know, if, for example, uh, let's use, you know, even even normal movie makers, when they started in the 20s, it took time for them to master their craft. Absolutely. By the 30s and 40s, they got it. I think Christians are getting better at making movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can only imagine it was a wonderful movie. You know, you've got other movies that are out there that are coming. And I'm not saying, look, there is, I do agree that a lot of Christian movies, the people that are doing it have a lot of heart. Oh, yeah. However, they shouldn't be given a camera. So, <laughs> So, and it's just a fact yeah, is that not everyone can make movies, okay? And the obstacles, by the way, the obstacles that you have to overcome if you're a faith-driven filmmaker, mm -hmm. you, have, you typically have crazy. to find your own financing, mm -hmm. you have to be your own executive producer, you have to be your own writer or find a writer usually to work for Reduce. A lot of times you have to be your own director, no you have distribution. to be your own producer, you have to be your own distributor. You, 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 it, you are terrible. expected to wear far too many. It is very difficult to secure acting talent because they don't want to be labeled. And that's because we've been defamed. We're basically, basically been blackballed. And so I compare it, you know, and, and sometimes we'll hear the same things from Christians. The extreme argument from Christians I'll hear sometimes is, well, when, when faith-based films get better, I'll go see them. And I'll, and I, I will point out to them a little less than charitably, maybe with a little ba bit of backspin. I'm like, well, that's like meeting your baby, your newly born infant in the hospital and giving them a, mm -hmm. cradling them and saying, you know, you're a beautiful child. If you manage to take care of yourself, put yourself through med school and come home, you know, I will love you. And then just mm. leaving the curb and expecting them to somehow manage the rest of their lives with no resources. It's completely unrealistic. I think actually the greatest hope for faith-driven films is to make this transition successfully to where there's a little bit of God smuggling going on, where we become mainstream films with Christian, a Judeo-Christian worldview underpinning it, and to borrow from C.S. Lewis yet again, uh, not to have more Christian movies, but to have more movies made by Christians, mm -hmm. to where it's mainstream content that carries a faith message in there, but it's the caramel and the Snickers bar. It's just one part of the overall confection. I think we can win that way. That's what we're looking to do. That's what we're moving hmm. to test to do a studio to do. I think maybe one in five of our films will be straight on the nose, faith-driven films, maybe one a year. But we for the most part, we're looking to do mainstream entertainment and 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 nefarious. And by the way, I we actually I we're guilty of this because we kind of market it as a horror, but it's really a psychological thriller. Mm -hmm. It's a psychological thriller with heavy horror undertones, is what it really is. This is part of that transition. Mm -hmm. I would say. This is 50% on of the way out onto that transitional curve. And I think the next picture will be fully out on the other side of that transition. I mean, I think, look, over a period of time, uh, Christian film is going to get better. I think, mm -hmm. you know, does anyone want to see a bad movie? I don't want to see any bad movie. <laughs> it could yeah. be a Muslim bad movie. I don't want to see it, okay? Yeah. You know, but you have to admit that I, as a Christian, we're the only people that get labeled. Do Buddhist horror films exist? 
Do I haven't they, seen a Buddhist horror film. Right, so they, they don't exist, but, and they haven't been labeled. And if they did exist, no one would label them that way. They would say... Well, in, they, a Buddhist, in a Buddhist view, the horror would be an illusion, therefore. <laughs> but, it's, illusory, it's illusory. It's not real, so you need not fear it. But uh, I, I think, look, I think with time, all things mature, uh, wine becomes better, right? Mm. So in other words, but I think the fruit of our tree is the work we do. Mm. I think we know how to make movies. I think we're going to continue we to make movies. We cut our chops in the studio system. So we know how to go make a normal, for lack of a better term, movie. Mm -hmm. That's what we're looking to take our values with us and go start making some genre. And ironically, I think this is going to work out because I think there's an immense vacuum in the world for what we do. I think Hollywood is busy killing itself with yeah. the woke agenda and the politics. You don't go to movies anymore in Hollywood. You go to political propaganda. Where is Top Gun? Top Gun made a billion dollars and everybody loved that and, movie. And it took three decades to get here, right? Okay, I mean, Beverly Hills Cop, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, Terminator, Harry Met Sally. Those were real movies, the 80s and 90s. They don't make those anymore. Where's kids shows or cartoons? They don't make that anymore. It's all political propaganda. And I would just disagree with one thing as far as evil goes. Mm. I believe it's more rampant now than it has ever been. Everything that is good has been flipped. Bad is now good. Good is now bad. Every movie has an agenda. Every TV show has an agenda. There are more movies about Satan and, and Lucifer and on TV and serial killers. I mean, we've been suffocated with evil on every level from children. I mean, they're being sexualized. They're being mutilated. I mean, these things are not good. So I would just say I disagree. I believe that evil is running amok. And the only thing that we're trying to do is stand up and say, pay attention here. There is a devil. There is evil in the world. And so that's what we're trying to do. And we have had, it was not part of the subject of this podcast, but when I tell you the, the string of calamities which has followed this wow. movie, wow. There is a devil. I What I've seen this year and in terms of faith-based films is really interesting to me. I think, uh, you know, and look, all the people who are trying to say, okay, we're going to do something, you know, create essentially a counter-industry with Angel Studios, with Daily Wire, with, you know, you, you know, you know, Blaze getting into, you know, the, the movie industry and all the other, I just see every, every day I see somebody announcing they're going to create another faith-based studio or something like that. Um, yeah. And so it's definitely, and, and again, this year I've seen more variety in the genre of faith-based films. Um, and again, like the Angel Studios is just, I mean, just announcing a sci-fi dystopian thriller, you know, uh, you know, about multiverse coming out next year, you know, so I, I think there's there's definitely a growth that's happening here. And I'm really excited about the fact that you guys were there kind of at the start of it and that you're also, like I said, trying to innovate uh, with it. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I appreciate I really enjoyed this discussion, both where, you know, where, where we had common ground and where we disagreed somewhat. Um, but um but yeah, thank you so much uh, for uh, coming on. Is there um, anything that you would uh, say to people before you left? Anything you want, any place you want uh, to send people to find you or to find your projects or um, something you want to leave them with before we head out? Well, what we'd like to say to you, and then we'll talk to them, but uh, is that we are going to send you a full-size poster signed of God's Not Dead. <laughs> okay. So you can in your bedroom, you know, right there. And you maybe, maybe one of the Spanish release ones, too. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the walls. 
I, we have it in Poland. We don't even do that in our office. But I, for you. I would actually be flattered. I'm not saying I'll keep <laughs> it, but I would be flattered. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Look, we uh, we are uh, yes, we'd like people to go to see the movie. The movie uh, is being now. Of course, this is from our perspective. We feel that Hollywood is trying to suppress the movie. Uh, we're down to three hundred and thirty screens. Give about three hundred now, uh, but we are we have massive trending upward. We people have actually re- going to the movie. Bookings based on increased increased per screen averages. Some of the chains, two of the three major chains. And one of the major regionals is are adding theaters in week for week four of release. Our numbers unheard. are surging. Our per screen average is surging. This Sunday we had higher numbers than last Sunday. That never happens. So people are getting the the hang of it. That the, this is a really good it's, movie. Ironically, it's the faith driven world that's discovering the film and discovering they can trust mm. it. They've been petrified of it. And we had just, uh, I mean, Jack Hibbs came out, who's, you know, very much on the conservative side, and he gave us a glowing recommendation. So one of the regional chains with a theater near Calvary Chapel just reopened uh, a theater and said, we we, we know there's more business. So here. we're seeing a reverse now from this to this, and we hope that we increase in theaters. But if you can go to the theater and help us, that would be wonderful, you know, because if you want this kind of material, if you don't help us, eventually we'll, we'll get, we will get choked out yeah. sooner or later. It's just, unfortunately, the movie business requires money to make movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not a hobby. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not that. And uh, we've tried printing money, if you wanted but to, that doesn't work. If you like hobby films, just think back to the Christian films of the 1980s and you'll have... <laughs> So, but uh, and and then of course we'll we'll do all the VOD, the platforms, and all of that stuff. So you know people will get it eventually and stuff. Yeah. But look, the the uh, the thing we really want people to know is not to be scared of this movie. No. It does show truth. It does show good and evil. It does show that there's a devil and a god. But it doesn't show people walking across the ceiling. There's no okay. horrific scene. Here's an Easter egg. That big scary demonic face poster. That's out in front of every mm-hmm. theater, scaring all the believers away. The artist for that is Jason Pearson. He designed the poster for the Passion of the Christ. He's wow. a total. He's a total sold out believer, and and he brought all of his skill to this for this purpose. This is to lure in, like you said, that there's there's the arguments on Reddit. Horror fans stay away. We'll be accidentally be exposed to Christianity. <laughs> that was the whole purpose. But I, I, I will also say this, you know, when you look at that poster and stuff, there was a purpose and a reason why we did it. Look, we if you want to, if people want to know the fruit of our tree is God's not dead, God's not dead too. Do you believe what if unplanned, nefarious? That's all good fruit. We promise our brothers and sisters out there, we would never betray you. This is not. A movie designed to make money. It's a movie designed to tell the truth. And every filmmaker, at their core, if you really look at them, they only make movies about one thing. It's just, mm-hmm. figure, and if you look at the filmmaker, you'll figure out what that one thing is. We're always about the fight between good and evil. That's mm-hmm. what—that's the only thing we ever, only thing we've ever made movies about, and probably the only thing we ever will make movies about. So I'm gonna good. have. To- 
I'm sorry. Oh, it's a pretty good thing to make movies about. Okay, go, go ahead and uh, say your piece, and then then uh, we'll wrap up. I'm going to have Linda reach out to you for your address. We're going to get to the poll. We're going to send you a I love it. I love it. I, my friends will have so much fun hearing about that. <laughs> All right. All right. Fantastic. Thank you guys so much for joining us, sir, gentlemen. This has been an honor. Really has been. I mean that sincerely. Um, and again, my name is Joseph Holmes. You can check out my work. I write regularly for Religion Unplugged, and I also have a podcast, The Overthinkers, where we talk about faith, uh, culture, arts, and philosophy, all the kind of stuff we talked about today. Talk about there, so you can go check that out as well. And uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. And uh, remember, this is Religion Unplugged with your regular Religion plugin. <laughs>